0: Hello everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of InCidicast. And boy, do we have a pretty cool episode today, talking about a very interesting film, probably something that fell under the radar for a lot of people. We're going to be talking about The Night House, released in the year 2000, directed by David Bruckner, which follows the tale of a woman called Beth, who has just lost her husband, Owen, to suicide. And essentially, it's her processing that death and it transforms into a much more deeper, richer story. So yeah, do check out the links below to all of these socials to keep in touch whenever I upload new episodes. Uh, Yeah, let's get stuck into The Night House. Probably a film that... Kind of feel a little bit under the radar, potentially for a lot of people. I mean, it was right before the start of uh, the pandemic. So, of course, there was uh, bigger things going on and obviously very big disruption to film in general. However, the film has done pretty well. It's very successful, had a very good uh, home release and it also now finds itself on various streaming platforms in the UK. It's on Disney+. Plus. Um, I would imagine it might be because it's a Hulu thing and we don't really have uh Hulu here in America. Yeah, so I guess the big name behind this is David Bruckner. This guy is uh, becoming quite the talent in regards to horror these days. Uh, he directed a segment on the original VHS film called *Amateur Night, which is potentially the most uh, famous and, I would say, like, popular Uh, segment from the original VHS, uh, which is, of course, the the people who bring back a woman to an apartment to have sex, and obviously she's like some weird flying demon thing. Pretty cool concept. David Bruckner also then went on to direct The Ritual, uh, which was a Netflix exclusive film, I believe, based on the book. And I actually really enjoyed that film. I would love to go into that into more depth one day, 100%. And he carries some of those, uh, folk horror, those sort of um, cultural, risk, like ritualistic, type um, influences into the nighthouse, which has got a very subtle undertone, but it is there. And if you pay attention to the details, it is all there for you to find out. So, this uh, film follows Beth, played by Rebecca Hall, who. Is pretty much the start of the entire film. She's not only the central focus, but in fact, the drive to keep this plot going and to keep it interesting for almost, you know, two hours. And she does an incredible job. She's extremely talented anyway. Uh, Everything she's been in, she's done an amazing job. She was recently in, uh, I believe, I think she was in Godzilla vs. King Kong. She was really good in that as well. She had a very nice... Uh, relationship with that child actor totally believable that she's this sort of like caring figure and in this she plays a really intense volatile emotional person going through many stages of grief she sells every single aspect of it completely we get a lot of real personal one-on-one moments with her and that type of stuff is very hard to do because it requires a lot from Uh, the person acting, to sell all of those beliefs, all of those emotions happening at the same time. So we have some side uh, characters also. So we have uh, Sarah Goldberg who plays Claire, Uh, Vondie Curtis-Hall who plays Mel, which is like her neighbour, Evan Janike who plays Owen, and of course, uh, last little credit is Stacey Martin who plays Madeline, who's sort of like a little bookshop worker who becomes pretty relevant to the story about halfway through yeah so a super super interesting film uh one of those films that i think did very well in a lot of film festivals and then of course um went to stream platforms and dvds uh so like you know i prime obviously it's on disney i think as well uh and hbo max i believe so it's one of those films that it was definitely uh subjected to all of the awkward uh, moments with COVID and obviously studios had to uh, adapt to that. However, uh, unlike a lot of films during COVID, this film probably was never actually filmed during COVID and therefore doesn't suffer uh, many of the issues that COVID had. But even if the film did, this would be the perfect COVID type film to exist. Uh, Very, very small cast, very simple plot and storyline. You don't have to go too crazy in depth with um, all of the settings and where you want to film things. So quite impressive, generally speaking, I think. This film has some of the most beautiful and consistent cinematography I think I've seen in a horror film in quite a while. The film has a lot of neutral... Uh, sort of browns and blues that just continues throughout the entire film. It all feels very earthy. It feels very uh, raw and, and quite cold in some ways. And it's such a really good metaphor for just the film and, and what it's trying to portray. We get some beautiful shots around the opening of the film. We get to see the boat on the water. And again, this is just kind of echoes all of this nature and natural um, setting that we're surrounded in. It's very much a secluded place. It is essentially, I think, about two houses in the middle of nowhere. We don't get to see any other type of neighbor or anything like that. And it does a very good job of making you feel very isolated, even though technically she's not isolated. uh, And this could very easily be a situation where You know, she's in the middle of nowhere. I think a lot of the films probably would have landed on that trope. But no, this does a really good job to, I think, divert some expectations with this. Because a lot of the time you get families in some sort of paranormal setting and the house is in the middle of nowhere. So, like, any strange bump in the night is guaranteed to be something kind of paranormal. Whereas, like, with this, it's not strictly in the middle of nowhere the potentiality of someone coming to the house and knocking on the door and, and doing things is is real. So because of that, the film does a very good job of keeping you guessing whether something is paranormal or whether something's real. And sometimes it's one of other, either, which is pretty cool. We get, some again, some uh, really amazing performances throughout this, especially going into all the details about the suicide. You know, there's some great scenes between her and... I'm hyping Beth. Beth and, you know, there's a mother of the pupil and her friends and they go out drinking. We get these really serious moments where we start talking about, you know, the reality of what's happened. And it's so good because obviously if anyone's suffered any type of major grief, you can kind of relate to a lot of the moments throughout this film. You know, this almost like constant, treading on eggshells, you know, about not saying the wrong thing or, you know, thinking that you can't make jokes and, and talk about you know anything in a different light to what is socially accepted. And I think this is really a really big, important point, actually. You know, grief generally is very different to a lot of people, for a lot of people, rather. And because of that, there's no real consistent way that people should be experiencing or expressing that grief. This film does a very good job of portraying that. In a very realistic way, in my opinion, and it does it with a, a good degree of like artistic flair as well. There's some really good scenes in this, which makes you wonder whether you're asleep or whether you're awake with her, because it does a very good job of jumping back and forth, like really quickly, really consistently, but it's all fluid, fluid emotion. We sort of get this um this like build up of the paranormal th- feeling and, and and theme, and we sort of see the moment where owen is out on the lake naked uh and it almost kind of gives you sort of i guess in some way it kind of reminds me of like the fog uh especially because they use a lot of fog in this you know it almost kind of feels like that type of isolating and what is out there in the dark it also feels a lot like the invisible man uh the most recent one that came out i think it kind of Potentially borrowed from some of the really good stuff that that film had, especially a lot of the um, interactions with someone that's invisible or the playing about with the audience's perception if someone's there or not. So there's a really good bit towards so the beginning of the film where there's almost like a head resting on a pillow. And, you know, It kind of feels like there's somebody there. It's, it's all very good. And of course, it makes you wonder as well about uh, being asleep and waking up in different places about how much of this is to do with the sleepwalking. Something she mentions partly through the film that Owen had uh, issues with sleepwalking and that somehow she thinks it could be contagious. Super, super interesting. Um, There's kind of like an under theme of the plot as well where essentially she's discovering a sort of secret life that he had and obviously this is trying to be brushed over by her friends to tell her, you know, don't look into it don't move on, uh, don't, like, move on with that type of stuff, you know, just remember him as he was. It's a very good very good thing. I think this does happen to sometimes when people uh, pass away, especially if things are kind of mysterious. You hear about these types of stories all the time where people start to uncover people's secret lives, things they never told people about, which probably leads to these types of situations. And it feels really good that this film can play a lot of, pretty realistic things, but just sort of tweak them in, into a way that kind of feels a bit paranormal. So this film has many, many, many layers. So alongside we're trying to find the secret life that he lives, there's something to do with the house specifically. Uh, there's some interesting drawings that gets sort of uh, uncovered partway through the film where we get to see like the blueprints of the house, also a reverse floor plan and obviously a lot about confusing patterns and sort of repeating patterns it's kind of interesting I think there's a a type of um theory about this stuff I don't really know too much about it but you know you hear about it a lot in like any type of occult thing where obviously like certain symbols and and certain repeating patterns and, and certain numbers and stuff like have all these like negative connotations and can sort of uh, link to some darker power. I guess this is kind of what the film is hinting at obviously for those that are paying attention there's, there's some pretty like, surface level stuff so even if you're only paying half attention there's a story in this for you. You know, It's, it's someone who is dealing with grief they realise the husband's not going to be well, kind of sends him on the deep end. She's obviously a raging alcoholic throughout this whole film and oh, how much of that alcohol is affecting what she's seeing and saying and experiencing. And then, of course, she tries to take her own life. For those that you look a bit deeper, there's obviously some paranormal aspect. But I think what makes this really work is that everything still remains very ambiguous. So you can kind of come to your own conclusions. It's kind of hard to determine what things are a part of her dreams and sleepwalking and what things are part of reality. And, and actually that. And again, like I said earlier, the, the film does a very good job of keeping the audience guessing by never making this stuff too clear. And something sort of repeat to kind of give you some, you know, typical paranormal feelings, sort of like knocking and seeing shadows and music playing in the middle of the night, that type of thing. But there's a lot of, really subtle, cool things. Sort of like the way that certain things in a house looks like a face, you know, sort of like the um, the ridges of like an archway sort of looks like a face. And it's so true, because I think if you ever did actually see a lot of old uh, structures, they do look like that sometimes, you know, where almost like faces are deliberately um, imprinted in a lot of architecture and, and furniture. And it's cool that the film kind of plays on that to be something a bit more... In what it is. It's a very subtle way to make something feel creepy without, you know, having an outright figure just stood in front of you. So the film also has quite a strong underpinning of nihilism, which is a very interesting theme that it toys with. Not a lot of horror films truly touch on a nihilistic. Uh, Only usually in a way that's cynical, right? Um, For example, like, you could take a film like Saw, you know? Like, yeah, there's some sort of underpinning of of trying to be something moral, but actually, you know, the very nature of it having to exist, you know, a Jigsaw-type figure, shows that actually the world is just completely flawed. There will always be people... That will be flawed and could never be saved, and that realistically people can't save themselves. And you know, obviously those films get like on a weird spinoff, but you know, it, it's kind of interesting concept that not a lot of films have touched on because you know it tends to be used in a way that's kind of kind of cynical sometimes bad taste. You know, I think I think like upon really like sums it up. Things like hostile as well, you know, sort of just killing people and hurting people for the sake of it. There's no no like deeper meaning from this, you know. You can try and pull something out and make some messages about capitalism or like corporate greed or like you know the 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 dark ill intent of people. You know, same thing with like Squid Game and all that type of stuff. But realistically, a lot of the time, it's trying to poke at something. Without really giving it any more depth, and this film really does give it depth. It talks about someone who's had a real experience of dying and coming back to life, and being utterly convinced and changed from that point onwards into the the recognition and belief that nothing happens after you die, and that is a very fundamentally permanent and you know, strong statement to make. I think, regardless of people's beliefs, I think, regardless if you believe there's something or not, taking a hard stance on either side is usually seen as quite a firm belief, especially by the other side. Uh, And I'm not going to state what I believe here, but obviously, you know, I'm much more sympathetic, but not nihilistic uh, about the whole... uh, the whole perspective that this film sets out. And I think it's kind of echoed even more so with the fact that Owen was someone who believed in an afterlife and came to that conclusion himself that there actually isn't anything. And that that fundamentally is a cont- potentially a contributing factor to his suicide. It's interesting because you can you can read the film that way Or you can read the film to show that he has great deep regret for the potential actions that he takes. So obviously, part of this um, uncovering towards the end of the film is we get into uh, the character Madeline, uh, played by Stacey Martin, who is a bookshop owner. And Owen would frequently go there to buy books, kind of like weird like occulty books know, typical kind of things. But obviously, if you pay attention to what is written, um, there's some very key information there. Something that uh, David Bruckner echoes quite a lot in Hellraiser, the recent film he did, which was also amazing. <laughs> I'm am going to talk about Hellraiser eventually. We will go through that. And within this, we sort of realized that he had some other interesting tastes. Uh, some urges, as it gets described by Mel. And we never really fully find out what these urges are, or if they were actually urges at all, and not just influences. But there's something to do with her death and some type of potential entity causing him to murder other women. And all the women looks like her. She has a very Mel has a very, like, about Mel, uh, Beth has like a, a very interesting um, conversation with this supposed entity about him tricking her or tricking it, um, and yeah, it's it's all really interestingly like ambiguous. I mean, like uh, I'm trying to even wrap my own head around this because to some degree y- you could argue that essentially it is all just some metaphor for her own grief, getting over her own grief and and coming to terms with um, her own life. And as one of her friends say that, you know, she still has a life to live. This is a very uh, strong part of grief. And obviously you, you could just take it from its complete supernatural perspective. You know, like she's physically got an entity that she's having to fight and something that will never go away. And of course, we're then trying to Dissect exactly how much Owen um, had involvement within the entity's existence. Um, because it's kind of interesting because it, it sort of is set up in a way to assume that Owen has somehow interacted with this thing, or at least it's spoken to him. And the things he's doing are kind of occulty and kind of weird. And he has some kind of weird taste, which looks like it involves some type of sacrifice to do this. At the same time, It seems somewhat personal to her. Specifically. And his using him to get to her. To make her kill herself. Kind of like some. You know. Existential dread. Some existential reality. Of your own mortality. The unrealistic nature that. You know. Anything would happen after you actually die. And that it's something that can. You know. Shake you fundamentally. From the ground up. So. The film can really be taken in, in many different ways, but every single minute of this film is gripping, it's captivating, it looks beautiful. The performance and acting is just incredible. There's some really interesting cinematography, especially in terms of, you know, the the colors and the jewel moon's very interesting. It sounds looks kind of like Lovecraftian, you know? Uh, There's obviously something kind of interesting as well about having a reverse perspective of your own life in many ways uh, you know you could look at this as Owen seeing himself in, in different people's shoes with different women you know the point they made in the film is that they married very young a part of that is going to be potentially um, thoughts of all the potential lives that you could have lived with people that you could have known and the chances of you know that ever happening is is nil because you get married very young, you know, unless something happens to the marriage, which he seemed happy to and and from what Mel said, regretful of of things that he did. Really makes you wonder just how much is influenced by this entity and how much is influenced by Owen. The film kind of leaves this very open-ended, very ambiguous. There's no confirmation whether the bodies are real Beth has herself said uh, to Claire that she doesn't even know if what she saw was real. And in many ways, it's up for us to interpret because, as Claire said, a lot of this could be down to her just digging into things, speculating, coming up with random stuff. How much of her interaction with this uh, ghost is, is her... Reaching out for something that doesn't really exist. Convincing herself it does. When someone sleepwalks and and does crazy things, they themselves aren't the best character or the best judge in the room to determine what is really happening and what isn't. But at the very end, at the very, very least, we get a moment with Beth and Owen slash this entity on a boat. The question comes to whether Beth is going to kill herself to join Owen in this nothingness, this void. And she decides not to. She comes back to reality and is greeted by Claire, who like just jumps in the water to try and save her. And one of the kind of last lines of the film is, like, Mel asks, uh, there's nothing there. Like, what are you looking at? There's nothing there. And Beth says, I know. This is a very interesting final question to end it on. Because essentially, in my mind, there's different ways you can interpret this. One, this is her accepting the grief As the entity said, it's never going to go away. It's always going to be with her. And other people can't see it, but she herself knows that and has to accept that and and deal with that process on her own. The other flip side is that it's a real, true entity that exists. And for her, it's not over, but for us... It is. And then, of course, we'll have to figure out what happens to the bodies. But I'll we'll probably never get a sequel, unfortunately. Ah, this, film, this film should get a sequel. <laughs> it's good, man. Uh, Yeah, I mean, like, it's one of those films. So I watched the recent Hellraiser. Uh, I heard that the guy, uh, David Bruckner, did uh, The Ritual. And I was like, yeah, cool. Loved both those films. And then I heard he did this film. And it was pretty high regarded so I thought you know what yeah I'm gonna check it out and and watch it and I was pleasantly surprised it just had its own feel its own energy its own vibe but also borrowed from some places and made it into things that worked some of the visuals is amazing all the house changing and the configurations and sort of just all the crazy like Camera work and, and visuals. It's just so good. Really, really impressed. This film is, I think, out there to be one of the best films I think I've watched. At least in the last, like, ten years. And I think that's actually crazy to say, but it's impressed me that much. This film is an absolute nugget of gold. It is a a diamond amongst a rough... If people don't know that this film exists, if people have never even considered watching this film, you should. You should. The Nighthouse, released in 2020, directed by David Bruckner and of course, the producer David Ascoia, who most people would know as well. Yeah. Do you let me know what you think. Uh, do comment on these socials and let me know what you thought about this film as well. I thought it's was incredible. Uh, yeah. Have a good one, everyone. Uh, I'll see you all in the next episode.